I want to prepare you uh, for this morning's sermon by saying this. Uh, if you come with thin skin, you might get your feelings hurt today. But it's not intended to do that. It's intended to remind us of what we're called to do. And uh, sometimes they call it preaching to the choir. I'm not preaching to the choir today. Uh, God is speaking to us uh, through this text. And uh, my background in being a country music disc jockey probably chose the title. Uh, Are the good times really over for good? One of my favorite Merle Haggard songs. But there's a mentality that we have in church life right now that is pretty consistent in churches across the board, no matter what the denomination, no matter where the location. It seems that we think that the church's relevance is gone. The culture has left the church. Some people would even go as far as to say the church has adopted the culture into the church. And so they have no real relevance, no sense of holiness. They have no sense of separation. Certainly have lost its leadership uh, in the culture. And so this morning, as I'm sitting here, uh, I've been here now for two months. And as I look around in the sanctuary this morning, I'm glad every single person is here. I really am. I'm proud of you. But you have to admit, we look around and we're thin. Now, the pastor's not thin, but that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the idea that there's a whole lot of people missing, a whole lot of seats unfilled. And as we look to the future, we believe that, uh, you know, maybe something will happen. What? What are we waiting to happen? You know, and when we talk about that, we always compare it to the past. I remember when there were more people here. In fact, this past week, I pulled out some pictorials uh, from the church. As I'm looking through there, I went with the purpose of the more I see your faces, the familiarity, I might make connections. also might see people that are not here. And I'm going, wow, there was a time when there was more people here. Uh, there was more activities. There were more activity shots in the pictorial uh, directory. And, of course, I'm looking, and there's some, some core people that are still here. And that's to be celebrated, faithfulness. But as we look here, it's, it's real easy to say, well, where we want to go in the future as a church is to reestablish where we were at at this point in the past. If we could just set the clock back to the early 2000s or the late 90s, some people would say we could, if we could go back to the 1950s, 1940s, when everybody was in church, that that would be a correction that would please God. Well, that's worldly philosophy. That's a little bit of our gray hair and, and remembering of the past. And we would say, well, are the good times really over for good? As we sit here where we're at as a church in mid-August 2022, uh, there's one thing that I think the text will prove that we're about to read 
that we should not discount God in the storyline of this church. You know, most of us think it's something we have to do. We think that it's something that wasn't done in the past or that some pastor in place did this and destroyed the church. Or we blame it on the economy or the fact we're a rural congregation and, and young people don't stay. We're looking to natural reasons and rations, rationality as to why we are where we are at today. But the thing that we must consider is, have we thought about God in this story? Uh, what he can do. He can take nothing and make something. In fact, that's the actual word that's used back in, in Genesis. He didn't take something, mold it, and make something. He created out of nothing. Yeah, when you think about your own salvation, it's not a matter you were pretty good and he gave you what you needed so you'd be merit salvation. No, he took because you were an enemy, you were evil, you were depraved, and he made you righteous. He doesn't need something to start with. He, he does it himself. You know, many of our childhood memories of church kind of influence us. Remember when we were growing up, I remember the church I came from. Uh, 300 people strong. Uh, I remember one particular pastor who came and had a charismatic influence and the, the church grew from 300 to 900. No kidding. And so much of my memories of church were, were based on that model. We had seven school buses that we had converted into church buses and we did visitation in the community. And so in my mind, if the church is healthy, that's my default. That's, that's base one, is to have... A large church. Big programs. Children's church. Youth group. You know, these are necessities for building a large church. And so many of the ideals I have, maybe you have, are based on what you experienced when you were a child or when you were a young adult. I remember when I was a young pastor. I remember the responsiveness of the audience. And we think, you know, unless we go back and visit the past and relive it and recreate it, that the church is not healthy. We've been using COVID as an excuse as well, haven't we? In fact, uh, everybody I talk to in church life will say, well, we've never gotten back to pre-COVID levels of attendance. A whole lot of people have left church and not come back. And so some of us, we've got more realistic kind of goals. You know, if we could just get back to where we were pre-COVID. The text. Israel has been in captivity. Before they were sent off into captivity, they had destroyed Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was grand. It, it glowed on that hill. There, there was staffs of, of priests. It was the center of all activity. It was powerful. And when the feast came, people came from all over everywhere to come to the temple. But then it was destroyed. 
God miraculously provides for an opportunity for them to return from the exile, to come back and build the temple again. But when they're building the temple this time, the footprint for this temple is much smaller, uh, more economical, less impressive. And they had marked it off. Earlier in this book, we get to visit when they have the dedication. And the older people who had experienced Solomon's temple, they just wept. We're going to build our beloved temple back again. But here they are. Years later, 18 years later, and this foundation has not been built on. This more modest temple. They can't even get a more modest temple together. And they're upset. Verse 1. Haggai, the second chapter. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all the people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, that goes way back, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the glory of this latter temple, talking about Solomon's temple, shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. God spoke to the people. They're smaller in number. They can't even get organized enough to build something. And the plans are not as impressive. They're discouraged. Ain't no way this is going to be anything like something. And if we can't have what we used to have, I don't know if I want to try. I'm getting old. Seems like an open dialogue, doesn't it? Lord of hosts says to Zerubbabel, says, look, I want you to say this to them. What do you remember 
about this former place. You were just a kid. You didn't know what was going on. You didn't know about the struggles. You didn't know about the hypocrisy. You didn't know about the idea that that temple was destroyed for a reason. Because it didn't please God. What do you remember about it? You think God gave the plans for this place. You think that he's just impressed with gold fixtures and stained glass windows and padded pews, paved parking lots, full sanctuaries. Do you think that's what he's about? Anytime we compare the present to where we're at right now to the past, it reveals we have a flawed memory. <coughs> flawed meaning incomplete. You know, that's something about our personality. Some people only remember the good things. There are some people only remember the negative things. Lord knows, I know some of those. But it's incomplete. Uh, must I remind you that if we could set the clock back to 1950, churches were full. In fact, there were a lot of churches. In fact, the design of churches with the columns up front and about the five or six steps out, they're everywhere. You know when they were built? By a generation they call in church life the builders. All those nice brick buildings. The ones we say, that's an established, well-founded church. It's big. It usually has the same design inside. We were building and placing these churches, but that same generation, don't get your feelings hurt, raised the children of the 1960s and the 1970s who left the church. Think about it. Yes, we had buildings everywhere. It was a church on every corner. The denomination exploded. Seminaries were busy. Have you ever thought that maybe one of the things that's happening right now in church life is God's starting over? So let's get it back to its original purpose. Three questions God introduced in this teaching, these verses we just read. Who among you saw the former temple? And then he asks the important question, how do you see it now? That, that's the question I would ask you this morning. As you are looking around at this church and what we're doing right now, how do you see it? Is it pleasing to God? Or is it something less than what it should be? How do you see it now? Well, what's that criteria build on? You know, are we on the verge of something big? God's getting ready to do something? Or are we just simply going, it ain't going to work? As you see it now, is what you see nothing to you?
I didn't say that. God said it to Israel. To a group of people who are looking at this frustration of trying to keep something alive, some memory of the past to bring it back to life, they are disappointed. He says, say to them, what do you really remember? What do you hold so precious? Then the question is, what do you think of what we got here now? I've just brought you back out of captivity. I brought you here miraculously. I brought the money to build it. I'm working, but it's not fitting with what you want. It's not happening at the pace you want it to happen. The dedication of the foundation had happened 18 years prior. They were crying and cheering. Been 66 years or more since they had seen the marvelous temple of Solomon. 66 years. Where were you at 66 years ago? Some of you remember. 66 years ago. You were younger then. So there was a whole lot of people present in the hearing of this word from God. They were looking and going, I'm just too old to do anything about it. I guess it's just going to have to be a precious memory I'll leave aside. You know, when we read the book of Acts, we read about God moving, healings, about people getting saved. We look at the book of Acts and we go, but that's in the Bible. We're not expecting it to happen now. Do we honestly believe God can't do what he did in the book of Acts again? Sure he can. Martin Luther, the great reformer. That wasn't that long ago. Back in the 1500s. Not when you look at human history. 500 years ago. There was not a single Protestant. Mover and a shaker, kicked out of his denomination, defrocked, credentials taken away. The birth of something God's doing. John Wesley, preaching continually, sometimes four or five times a day, riding on a horse, established what became the Great Awakening in many ways. He was one of the foot soldiers of it. Of course, Methodism came out of it. Of course, that denomination's in trouble now. About to die. Then you got uh, George Whitfield. What about Billy Graham? He's dead now. There's no great revival speakers filling stadiums anymore. Are the good times really over for good? Should we just pack up and go home? Should we close the doors of the church? Do what uh, so many and so many churches have done, shutter the doors because nobody's coming anymore? I had a preacher tell me this a couple of years ago. I made note of it in my mind. 
I didn't correct him for saying it because I didn't know what to say. He said to a group of people, the last of the great revivals are over. Hmm. Here's what it says in Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, verses 18 and 19. Remember, Isaiah is saying all sorts of things about the destruction of Israel, about the judgment of Israel. Here's what he says very succinctly to address what we are talking about here this morning. Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, verses 18 and 19. Do not remember the former things. That's pretty direct, isn't it? Nor consider the things of old. Then what's it say next? Behold, I will do what? A new thing. Something ain't never been done before. Through means never done before. Something you hadn't thought of. Some strategy you hadn't put in place. I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I love this last line. I've actually been meditating on that as your pastor. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This community is not interested in this church. We, we got nothing to bring young families to. You, you forgot You've discounted the fact that God's involved in this. Amen. God's involved. It ain't dead till he says it's dead. In fact, he actually receives glory when what appears to be dead and hopeless resurrection. When, when we look and say, hey, that's not a matter of somebody came in that was innovative. matter of this is a lost cause I had a preacher tell me one time that his job as an interim was to go to aging churches and either revive them or bury them he was being sarcastic but I didn't come here for a funeral came here because God's in this place is that why you come? Do you feel called here? Do you feel like God's not done with Redditch Grove Baptist Church? That once again God can move here? He might not do it the way he did it in the past. He might not do it through traditional means. There may never be a RA group, a GA group anymore. But God's going to do something? I believe it. You see, the thing that God told the prophet when God spoke by means to Zerubbabel, the cure for discouragement is to be strong and get busy. But do not rely on the flesh to get it done. There's no innovative plan out there. There's no strategy in place. It's been tried before. You know, it's not a matter if we, we spend $2,000 on a campaign this weekend on flyers and information. If we bring in a gospel group, 
pick a uh, cook a pig after every service and call the community to it if that was what it is I think we got the finances to do that but that's not what God has called us to do he says be faithful preach the word sacrifice this is supposed to be a house of prayer not a house of preaching not a house of covered dishes <laughs> this is supposed to be a house of prayer you know what prayer is? It's God's people saying, God, what do we need to be doing? Where do we need to be? Zechariah, the fourth chapter, verses 6 through 10. We're getting right down to the crux of it. And so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord. There's that phrase again. The word of the Lord. To Zerubbabel. Not by might. Nor by power. But by my spirit. Says the Lord of hosts. Who are you? O great mountain. Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. and He shall bring forth the capstone. With shouts of grace. Grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, for you have despised the day of oh, small things. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. That kind of says to me that one of the things that needs to be happening in this church is our prayers need to be more centered and focused. And we also need to be willing for God to take us in a new direction. I don't know what it is, okay? I don't know what it is. It's, it's not a matter of I'm setting you up for something. I'm just saying it's not going to be by just some Saturdays out here doing some things to pretty the place up or out visiting. It's going to be when God's people get down on their face and say, God, are you through with us? Or is there something you still want to do with us? What is it? What would happen in this church if that actually happened? God sent me here this morning to preach this. Yeah, there's some people I wish were here. I can imagine you say, hey, it would be great if some other people heard this. Well, this is what God said preach on this Sunday morning. Are the good times really over for good? Is it based on a flawed idea of the past? Or are you ready for something new? It's not going to be by your money or your power or your experience. It's going to be because God does it through you. Galatians, the third chapter, verses 2 and 3. Final verse I'll share with you this morning. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law 
or by hearing of faith? Are you foolish? Having begun in spirit, are you made perfect by flesh? No, you're not. God didn't save us to be good. He didn't plant a church here to be solid and pay the bills and employ a preacher. I know this is dangerous to my vocation, but I don't think it says anywhere in the Bible that we're supposed to hire a preacher. Did you hear what I just said? I don't see anywhere in the Bible where you're supposed to hire a preacher. Have a professional clergy. That kind of suggests we've got a sheriff. And he decides what happens. If it fails, it's his fault. If it succeeds, we'll give him more money. Maybe he'll stay. No. One of the things I honestly believe, and I'm not applying this to this church, don't take me wrong, but if God's Spirit ain't here, ain't anything we can do to keep it from dying. If God's Spirit's here, can't nobody kill it. What we want to do is learn from the Spirit what it is He wants us to do at this stage in our history, where we're at today. There's no retirement in the work of the Lord. You're employed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to the last day you breathe. The success of this ministry is in the hands of God. He has the plan. David Pierce doesn't have it. Your leadership in the church doesn't have it. I hope they're humble enough to admit it. We're waiting on God. God, what we need to do? What's the first step of obedience? He's not going to reveal that plan open-ended. Here's my two-year plan to bring in a life to this church. Don't worry, two years from now, there'll be 100 people in here. Or 150. Or you'll go to two services. He doesn't do it that way. He tells you what the plan is now. And when we're obedient with step one, he then reveals step two. Those people that were by the foundation who were sitting there crying as they're getting older and realizing they're running out of time, they're never going to see what they held precious in the past. God says, why are you holding that so precious? Live in the now. He says he's going to shake things up. Did you remember reading that? He says, I'm going to shake the heaven, I'm going to shake the earth, I'm going to shake the mountains. You know what that was? Shaking is an idea of society, the world around the church, is suddenly going to be shaken up and they're going to be seeking answers for people that are on solid ground. Would everybody agree with me there's a shaking going on in our country? Are you with me if I told you I think it's going to get worse? Would you agree with me? I believe it is. And as society is less stable, puts us in place for ministry. 
God says that's what he's going to do. And he tells you that it all belongs to him. Don't take ownership in this church. It's not yours. This is not your church. It's not mine. I think one of the things you'll find, if you ever catch me doing something different, I'll give you permission to pop me upside the head. If you ever hear me refer to this as my church, I'm wrong. This is not my church. And it's not yours either. I don't care how much time you have invested here. It belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Something goes on when I have small kids. It's called Christmas. Kids get a little bit older and you, you, you want to begin to teach them to not just be receivers, but to be givers. You know that important moment you say, well, you know, rather than being all about you at Christmas, I want you to enjoy Christmas from the standpoint of giving a gift. Well, that's fine and dandy, unless you're the daddy and it's your money they're using. <laughs> you think about that. And so some kid goes and usually goes with mom and takes the credit card or whatever plastic they're going to use and they go buy you something. And so when you get that gift, you go, well, I bought it. <laughs> That's a lot of what church is. It belongs to him. But he's trying to teach us to give it. It's my final statement. And I'm not meaning to hurt anybody's feelings by saying it. The church exists for you to give it to somebody else. Not for you to own not for you to possess. It's not yours. It, this church exists for the people that are not here yet. They're out there. God's already working up and down this street. It's up to us to go out there and bring them in. 